You may be seated. As I said uh, in Galatians chapter 5, so you may want to turn there. I hope that you have a Bible. By the way, we're a Bible church. Try to bring your Bibles, right? And you also find an outline in the bulletin. I think there's eight fill-ins today. I gave you a lot of fill-ins. You know, one of the things as we approach the new year, I always wonder, you know, what should I preach as a New Year's message type of thing? By the way, we're done with Christmas, right? So this is not Christmas, this is New Year. I hope you had a great Christmas. Isn't it great to be around family and friends? I think the older I get, the more I enjoy it. I don't know why I say that, but maybe when I was young, you know, younger, the kids were younger, and then it was just a lot of work. And now I can kind of sit back and they do all the gift wrapping and clean up, a lot of it at least. It was great. It was just a great day. But anyways, as we always approach the new year, I always wonder, you know, like what should be our, you know, our New Year's message. Thankfully, this year it's right within our text. In fact, one of the things also I think about is what could be a theme for a year? You know, a few years ago we had the theme of radical commitment to community. You know, radical commitment to each other. This year, this is, and this has been on my heart for a number of actually weeks, the actual theme is right within verse 13. In fact, it's your heading for your outline. Through love, serve one another. Would that be a great theme for 2011? That our church would move closer and closer of loving each other by serving. Through love, serve one another. By the way, we're to serve one another, but we're to do it with the motivation of love. And that's really going to be the theme. I'm, I'm, I, didn't, I didn't even really ask the elders, but we didn't come up with one, so that's going to be our theme. Okay, <laughs> It's biblical. Through love, serve one another. Today I want to look at love. Next week I'm going to look at love out of 1 Corinthians 13, and then the following week on serving. So we're going to be on it for a couple weeks, but we're going to, it's right within our text. Yeah, we've got to love one another. You know, Corinthians says if you don't love... Whatever you do is worth nothing, zero. You can be real busy, real sacrificial, but if it's not out of a heart of love, it means nothing. So we have to make sure that we are serving out of love, through love serve one another. Well, since we're in Galatians 5, let's, let's get ourselves up to speed. We've gone through the Christmas program. We had a Christmas message last week. Let's kind of get, make sure why verse 13 is, is in this part. And to do that, we're going to go back to verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1. And really, Paul is talking about two different things in, in chapter 5 up to this point. And it all has to revolve around this idea of freedom, liberty. And the first is, is found in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And the bondage there is the law. And the idea is this, Stand firm in your liberty against legalism. And really, that's been the whole book up to this point. Paul has been seeking to, to defend the gospel, justification by faith alone. And he's saying, listen, you need to stand firm on the freedom that you have in Christ. The fact that when Jesus Christ saved you, he saved you based on his sacrifice on the cross, not by what you're doing in works of the law. Stand fast. And, and that... that um, Terminology, stand fast, you know, it just brings us right back to being a soldier. We have to be soldiers. 
We have to be soldiers when it comes to the truth. And sometimes being a soldier means that you even get hurt. But Paul is saying, listen, stand fast in the liberty. Again, if salvation is by grace alone, then we cannot tolerate legalism, which is salvation by works. Sometimes we tolerate it. By the way, we tolerate it by, by this way. People will say things about what they think of how they're going to get to heaven, and we don't challenge it. And they'll be talking about, you know, well, I, you know, I go to church, and, you know, I give, and, you know, my... And, and wait a second. That's not how you get saved. You get saved when a person realizes they're a sinner before a holy God, and they receive Christ's sacrifice on the, cra- uh, on the cross alone, right? That's it. So we have to be strong in that. Christ has freed us from the entanglement and the damnation of trying to earn our salvation because it never worked anyways, even in the Old Testament. But look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through what? What's the word? Through love. By the way, verse 13, he's also going to be talking about through love serve one another, this idea. What's he, what he's doing, he's, he's kind of setting up some main thoughts. He's saying, listen, legalism doesn't save. But when you do get saved, something's happening and you're going to have your faith, because that's what saves you, justification by faith. That's the channel that brings salvation to you, personal faith in Christ. But this faith is what? A working faith. Because this would be the objection. This would be the obvious objection of any person that says, oh, you think you're justified by faith alone? Well, then once the person gets saved, they're going to live an ungodly life because you just told them it's not their works that saves them. I mean, you can see all that. Yeah, I mean, what place does works have? Are they just going to be ungodly? And Paul says, no, 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 no. True faith works. Love is there. Love for whom? God, for fellow man. No, no, no. It's not like your faith doesn't do anything. In fact, I would say it this way. Genuine faith, true faith is always a working faith. It's an expressive faith. It expresses its love to God. It expresses its love to people. It's an obedient faith, right? See, this is the big, this is the big uh, concern with much of what's going on in Christianity today. Easy believism, like you just receive Christ and everything, and then they just go and live, and, and they'll come back to you years later and say, "Well, I'm saved because I made that, you know, that decision way back when." But they're not obedient. There's not love. There's not this motivation. In other words, God's, they, they might have had a profession of faith, but it's not a true profession. It's not a true commitment to Christ. See, true justifying faith works. It doesn't work to get itself saved, but it works because the person is saved. And that's very, very important. Love is the outworking of genuine faith. <coughs> in fact, he even says in verse, if you go to verse 14, he says, um, and we're going to look at this in a moment again, but for all, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the sum of the law is to love. Love God. And then the outworking of that is love your neighbor. That's why, he, that's why he put that in verse 14. Again, a person who lives by faith works under the internal compulsion of love and does not need the outward compulsion of the law. That's what the whole point here is. If you're truly saved... Something's going to happen in your life. You're moving forward. Sanctification is going to happen. And I say amen to that. Aren't you glad you're being sanctified? Aren't you glad you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? In fact, if you say, well, no, not really, then question your salvation. 
Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, like Corinthians says. 1 John says this, Now, by this we know that we know Him. We know that we know Him. We know that we're a true believer if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar. Do you know any liars? What do you mean? Well, you, this is the person who says, I know Him, but, he, but that person doesn't keep Christ's commandments. And the truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his command, excuse me, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and the love of God is being perfected in him. There's a love, a motivating love that wants to obey Christ, that wants to help his, his people. So really, the whole law could be summed up in the word love. That's what it's drawing us to. So the first thing is, stand against legalism. And the second is, again, found in verse 13, stand firm in our freedom against license. That's the other side of it. Legalism says, I need to do all these things, all these things to be saved. License says, well, since I am saved, I can, I can live like the devil. I can live like the devil. And so what does Paul say? He says, brethren... For, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. But don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. <coughs> opportunity for the flesh. You know, that word opportunity comes from the military term of a base of operation. You know, if you're over in Afghanistan, you have to have a base of operation and the soldiers go out but come back to the base. And what Paul is saying, listen, just because you're free in Christ... Don't let your flesh become a base operation for doing what is wrong. By the way, the word flesh is doing, refers to all the things I do, the part of me that wants to do all the things that are against God. You know, don't, don't let your flesh get away with this idea, because sometimes we do. Have you ever had this? You know, well, I am saved. I'm eternally saved. And, you know, if I look at that, or if I say that word, or if I cheat in that area, or if I get a little angry and bitter, God will understand you're allowing your flesh to become a base of operation. Yes, God will understand, and He will convict, and if you confess your sin, He will forgive, but understand that that's an affront to God. Don't let it become a base of operation. Now, we want to we use our freedom for the right thing. I like what Michelangelo said. He says, when I am yours, talking to God, when I am yours, then at, and then at last I am truly myself. Now, what, what was he referring to? True freedom is the exact opposite to what m many people think it is. Most people think freedom is freedom from responsibility to God and others in order that I may live for myself and be free. I'm free! I can do anything I want! That isn't freedom. That's actually bondage to self-centeredness. By the way, do you know anybody that's in bondage to self-centeredness? I know people like that. I know Christians like that. I know pe Christians who are, even though they're saved... They are so self-centered, so focused. And, and you can tell because things irritate and frustrate and, and offend them. They use that word. I, I'm offended. You know. And sometimes, sometimes they are offended. Sometimes I just want to tell them, grow up. Because you're acting like a baby. You're acting like a baby Christian. See, true freedom is to be set free from my, I like how one person said it, my silly little self in order to give myself in love to God and to my fellow human beings. That's what true freedom is. That's what he's talking about in verse 13. 
Listen, you've been freed. In other words, you don't have to do all these laws to get saved. But on the other hand, you're not free just to live for yourself. You're free to serve out of love one another. That's what your freedom is. You, God has called you to freedom, but the freedom is that you can love God and you can love your fellow man. That, that's what you're called to do. That's a huge under... I mean, we have to understand that's what freedom is. That's what true freedom is. We don't want to get caught up into this, like, well, no, freedom is that I might have my own way. Oh, no, no. Freedom is that you can, out of love... See, because you, you... Think about the person caught in these slave religions. You, you say slave... What do you mean slave... Well, you know, all these world religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, Catholicism, liberalism, they have to do. In reality, they cannot truly love. Well, they can't love because they don't have God. But even if they had God, think about their religion itself. They can't truly love. Why? Because everything they're doing is moving them either farther away or closer to their goal of eternal life. Now think about that. That puts you on a treadmill. And no matter how much that person sacrifices, that looks like for others, there's always this motivator that says, I'm doing this for my eternity. Do you see what I'm saying? They can't really love. Here Christ comes along, breaks your shackles. No, sin, death, damnation, all taken away. You're truly free. Now the question is, are you going to serve yourself? But you're truly free. Christianity is the only religion that is... Truly, not only is it right right and correct, but it's the only one that actually motivates you out of true love. I'm not trying to do this to earn my salvation. I, I didn't spend a, a, a few hours yesterday studying for this message because, you know, I got a couple more points. I, you know, I remember my dad always liked working on Christmas Day because he got triple time. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't get triple time yesterday. You know, I mean, like, you know, oh, I, you know, I worked a little bit on Christmas Day. God's really going to be pleased with me. No, 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 no. I am saved, okay? I can do this out of love. There's no motivator that says, well, I'm doing this a little bit, you know. No, no, no. Do you see what I'm trying to get at in, in, in Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 13? You've been called to freedom. Don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Man, I'm giving you, just, just follow me. Well, let's look at this whole thing of love before we run out of time. The priority of our love. And you can go to Matthew chapter 22. And I want to just show you, just answer this question. Why is love so important? And we're going to look at it this week and next. Like I said, next week in 1 Corinthians 13. Why is love so important? Matthew 22, 36. Teacher. And this is a religious leader asking him, asking Christ, you know, a question. Always asking. You know, people are always asking questions. The problem is a lot of times they weren't listening. They just were asking. Teacher, which is the greatest, the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with, now catch this, all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Mark 12 adds, and with all your strength. So really, every part of you, the internal, the external. The immaterial, the material. Okay, Every part of you should have complete love towards God. Total, unreserved love for God. And, and that's how Christ answered it. Again, this is our first priority. In fact, if you're filling in your outline, 
A is this. It's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest. It's the first and great. Prota megas. The, the, the ultimate. If you want to say what is the ultimate command, it's to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. By the way, we have to kind of figure out what that means. You know, what are some key words that I could give you that would kind of point towards that? That, that means that our, our attitude is to worship Him. That's loving. To exalt Him, to praise Him. Jesus said this, if, if you love me, you'll, what? Keep my command. Or so it's obedience. You've got to throw that in the mix. If you say, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it doesn't mean that you just worship Him on Sunday. It means it's a, you have a heart of worship. It means that you have a heart of obedience. Very, very important. That you're loyal to Him. That you're focused on Him. That really He's your grid. You go through life and He's your grid. It's His Word that guides you. It's, it's His smile, as it were, that, that you look for, that you want to please Him. You know what I'm saying? That you're willing... I, let me throw in one other word, sacrifice. Sacrifice, all you do. Because Jesus said this is the first and great commandment in the law, that you'll love the Lord your God with all. And then he... Well, let me go a little bit deeper in that. B, it's the revealer of the heart. Or as it were, the litmus test. In other words, true discipleship requires denying self and loving Him above all others. Now, that sounds somewhat innocent. It sounds maybe even easy. Well, I love, okay, I need to love the Lord like God with all my heart. You know, Matthew says this, Matthew 10. Verse 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoa. Wait a second, what did he just say? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross, that's suffering, and follow me, that's obedience, is not worthy of me. That's huge. Especially since we've just come through Christmas. You know, we make a lot of Christmas, a lot about Christmas as far as family. And by the way, I love family. You know, I'm a, I'm a son, so I did call my mom and dad. Although I always talk to mom. Can I talk to mom? I don't know. No, I talked to dad a little bit, but not yesterday. <laughs> I don't know. He was watching some football game or something. I'm actually a grandson, so I called my grandparents. And uh, had my kids over, all of them. Thankfully, Ashley lives in the area, and we live in this area. And then I'm a grandfather. So I have a lot of relationships, and I love all those relationships. Oh, I'm a husband first, so let me throw in that first, okay? Lovely wife. I always look at my wife and think, man, how? Thank you, Lord. I, I could have made so many mistakes. Thank you, Lord. I love relationships. But when it comes to all this, look at this. This is huge. This is hard. I mean, I, as I was studying this, it's like, Lord, man, help me to have this type of heart because outside of you, it, it isn't going to be there. If I love any of those other relationships more than him, I'm not worthy of him. You know, I read an article recently, but it actually the magazine came out back in April of 2009. Voice of Martyrs. You ever get Voice of Martyrs? But this is what the person said. Uh, the, uh, the director, Tom White, wrote in the editorial, who is first? And this was back on Mother's Day. This was a Mother's Day thing. But, but this is what he said. Some months ago, we received a letter from a, a reader who 
was disturbed by hearing that some missionary parents had stayed in a dangerous country after making their children leave. Tragically, the parents were killed. A reader thought the parents had been irresponsible, irresponsible for taking a risk that left their children orphans. Struggling with this, the reader asked us what we thought. Now, this, and you can see his heart. He says, I do not know what I would have done in that situation. God could honor either decision, leaving with the children or staying to continue ministry. He will not abandon our family if we make an imperfect decision. Still, in our society, Christians... Now, this is what I really found interesting. Still, in our uh, society, Christians are tempted to place family first in every situation. This approach can become a selfish endeavor if not balanced with our calling as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. He goes on and he talks about brothers and sisters in a restricted or closed nation. Uh, restricted would be where they, they you know, put down Christianity and closed means you can't even enter. You're found to be a Christian, they'll kill you. But he talked about this one Christian family, apparently from China. Quote, officials arrested Pastor Do Chao on, <coughs> on June 14, 2009, along with other believers uh, during a house church raid. He was given a one-year sentence of re-education, quote-unquote, through labor. Pastor Dao's wife, Feng Lu, received the same sentence. So each of them had to spend time in jail for one year. The question is this. While Pastor Dao is in prison in a labor camp, authorities have permitted Feng Lu to serve her sentence at home so she can care for her 12-year-old daughter. However, officials informed her she will be sent to the camp if she is discovered engaging in further, quote, illegal religious activities, end quote. The, the question is then this. Does she continue to do what Jesus said and said, go and make disciples? Or because she has a 12-year-old at home, well, I'm not going to say anything until after she grows up and can take care of herself. Do you see the... I mean, we don't come into these situations yet. But I, I believe we need to start talking about this because I believe that there's a, a day coming that many of you who are sitting here, including myself, will have to decide, is Christ first? So again, how do we, how do we do the, deal with that in light of Matthew chapter 10? Should I and my family focus on the kingdom of God, even if it means sacrificing some good things we think we deserve? What decisions will we make when faced with the dilemma of being a kingdom-first family? And then he ends by this. Uh, the guy that writes in World Magazine, Marvin Olialski, he wrote this back in April also. Christians who have adopted the slogan family first as a euphemism for biblical morality might be surprised to see how frequently the Bible puts family second. Jesus said this, My mother and my brother are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So really, sometimes we think we have God first, and we would say, well, God wants my family first, but think about all these Christians who sacrifice, and not just the guy goes to jail, but the kids are left orphans. The kids are left without parents for years at a time. They have to suffer along. And we have to make a decision. Are we really loving the Lord, like the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or maybe has family become priority? Priority, family should never be priority. I know that sounds odd. Jesus Christ is priority. Family is always second. So again, it's a revealer of the heart. It's a true litmus test. I think of my own nephew, Ryan and Anna uh, Corbett. They are over in the Middle East. Let's just leave it there. 
But I think some have even looked at them as maybe irresponsible. You know, well, you, you, their safety. I mean, there's a possibility he might become a martyr. But he said, you know what? It's for the glory of God. You don't stop your life because you have a family. In fact, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Do you remember him? I think he was only 39 years old when he died. He was, uh, he was back during the Nazi time, German. Uh, he could easily have come out of United, to the United States. In fact, he came for a while, went back to Germany. This was all on the rise of Hitler. And uh, they wanted to get him out again. He was um, engaged to be married. And he said, no, these, this is where God has called me. He ended up dying uh, by being hung. I think it was April 45. But this is what he wrote in one of his books. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And when Christ comes, calls us, that's what he's calling us to do. Now again, we may not be martyrs for Christ, but we should in our hearts say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever for you. Your priority. Well, let's move on. If you're back in Matthew chapter 22, we're going to see the third point. Uh, not only is this the greatest commandment, not only does Matthew 10 talk about the revealer of the heart, but it's also an inseparable command, uh, companion. It's an inseparable companion. What are you talking about, John? Because Jesus declared that the second commandment is like the first. By the way, it's not the same thing as the first. The first is the priority, love God. But the second one is like that one because it includes love. And and this is why it's like it. Because how I love my fellow man is a revealer and an indicator of how I truly love God. So it's an inseparable companion. That's why I put it there. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus makes love for God and neighbor inseparable companions. They have to go... I can't say that I love God and yeah, whatever for you guys. No, no, no. If I love God, there's going to be love that I have for my neighbors. And actually, we're going to see it even becomes more intense in the church. That's what true genuine religion is. In fact, look at, look at math, uh, the next verse. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Over in Mark, he says, there's no other commandment greater than these. This is where all the law and the prophets hang. You, you put all the law and the prophets together, what is, it really, what is it all pointing towards? Loving God, loving neighbor. Take the Ten Commandments. What does it all point towards? Loving God, loving neighbor. Let's face it, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie to him like the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to take his wife... I love, you know, I'm not going to covet what I have if I really love my neighbor. So it all hangs on the law. These two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Christ's followers are to be marked not only by total devotion to God, but also sacrificial service to our neighbors. So what does that look like? You know, what are some key words on when it comes to loving your neighbor? Again, concern, uh, sacrifice. Uh, by the way, it's not just to those I like. You know, there are people I really like hanging with. And there are some people that just really irritate me. I'm supposed to love them too. Thankfully, none of you are them. Okay? But I, <laughs> I mean, we're even called Matthew 5 to love our enemies, those who want to hurt us, the unlovely. In fact, keep your hand there. Uh, go to Luke 10. Luke 10. Jesus asked the question again, you know, this whole thing about what is the greatest. Well, actually here he's asked, how do I inherit eternal life? But he goes back to the same passage. You know, a certain lawyer of Luke 10, 25. 
Certain lawyers stood up, tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Again, questions are asked. A lot of times they're not being heard. He said to him, What is written in the law? What is written in the law? Remember, what's the sum of the law? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you'll live. Why? Because he know that he knew that he could never keep it. That's the whole point of the law, to show that we can't keep it. <coughs> but he did say this is the sum. In fact, it's from there he goes and he says, but he wanting to justify himself, this is the lawyer, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's get this, you know, because the Jew would say, well, my neighbor is fellow Jews that I like. And so he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, which basically turns out that the religious ones didn't do right. But the Samaritan helped the person, the unlovely, the hurting, the one that couldn't, couldn't respond and give back. So really, that's our neighbor. Our neighbor is not just our good friends. Our neighbor is anyone out there. And that's an inseparable companion. Let me give you one more uh, story from this, from this uh, particular article. This is about a Vietnamese evangelist named Tao Ding Trung. Maybe we could just call him Joe for short. No. But anyways, Trung was thrown into Quan Nai prison for preaching. During his stay in prison, our brother Trung brought more than a dozen prisoners to Christ. After thousands of letters from our readers arrived at the prison, because this was done a few years ago, a few months er, uh, they, the officials offered to release Trung a few months early. He shocked them by demanding the right to complete his pr uh, prison sentence. He did not want to leave his new church. He said, no, I'm, I want to do out my entire time. But he asked this question, how would you expect Trung's wife, a mother of three young children, to react to her husband's decision? How would you? Re in fact, I wanted to put this up, but I, I couldn't get it scanned in time. But her picture's right there, and I mean, uh, that probably a little boy, about one, little girl, two, and little, another little boy, four years old. So three kids at home, all under five. How would you think she would respond? This is what she said. I am happy that the Lord has given my husband a ministry. Hmm. The Trung family knew that the blessings of God go beyond the immediate comfort of being together as a family. Since they were united in spirit, their children did not significantly suffer from the absence of their father. Whew. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you say, man, I can't. How? How? Well, the final point is its source of origination. If you just go to 1 John 4, 7, you find the source. The source of origination. Because I can't love like that. At least I can't do it outside of someone else. Look at verse 7. 4 verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who, who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And all I want you to draw out of this is this, that we serve a loving God. God is love. In fact, love is found within the Trinity. The Father loves the Son, the Spirit, the Spirit loves the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. 
and so forth. They, they, by the way, they didn't need us. They chose to bring people into the family, but they didn't need to be loved. They, were, they love each other, okay? Three persons loving perfectly. It's a Trinitarian type love. But our love is a reflection of their love. That's all that this passage is saying. And if you, if you don't love, it shows that you're not a Christian. But the other side is this. If you are a Christian, you can love. Lord, how do I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? I have to allow the Spirit of God, fruit of the Spirit, to work through me because outside of that I can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, I, I read those, those. Those are very easy to read, those little vignettes of people that are real people. And I keep saying, would I allow, would I allow that to happen to my children? Would I sacrifice for Christ in that extreme way? Well, Lord, if you fill me with your love, I can do it. Okay? That's the source of origination of that love. It's, it's the Father. I have to, we have to say, Lord, fill me with your love. You're going to bring people in my life that are irritating, frustrating. Maybe some of them are even enemies. Help me to love them because that really shows that it's your love and not just my human love. It's easy to love certain people, right? I mean, I just love a lot of different people, but a lot of times I don't think it's necessarily God's love through me because it hasn't been tested. But then God puts people in your life that are irritating and frustrating and sometimes enemy. And you know what he's trying to do is get you, listen, are you depending on me? Or is this just a love that's kind of counterfeit? And you're calling it God's love. You know, we've got to hurry, but I do want to give you the last four points. First, uh, John chapter 13. John chapter... Because this turns to the newness of our love. Actually, I'm only a third way through this outline. What am I going to do? We're going to go quick. That's what we're going to do. First of all, I showed you the priority. This is the newness. Because Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And the first question I have is, what do you mean this is new? You already told me that, you know, back in Matthew 22, that's before this, that you're supposed to love the Lord thy God, your neighbor. I mean, loving is not new. I mean, it was found in the Old Testament. Look up Leviticus uh, chapter 19. You find, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Again, Jesus already spoke in Matthew. You know, he gave the good the parable of the Good Samaritan, that was all before this point. What do you mean, this, this love? Well, look at verse 34. As I have loved you, it's new because now he becomes, this is the key word, it's a copied love, it's a modeled love. It's a copy. Let's go with the C. I'm going to give you four C's. It's a copied love. As I have loved you, This new special love for other believers is based on the sacrificial love of Christ. That's where we get it. As I seek to love, the the template is Christ. That's the grid. That's the example that I'm to follow. How many of you remember the old carbon copies? Shows your age. (coughs) Remember that? You know, you'd write it. And the only one that was really clear was the top one. You know, and then the, everything else was like a smudge of the top one. You know, especially if you got three or four deep, right? Well, that's kind of like us with love. God is the perfection, we're just the smudge, okay? We don't, you know, we're like a carbon copy. We're not perfect in our love, and we keep moving in that direction, but it's just kind of like, you know, by the time you, 
really look at us, we're not that loving all the time. But he's the cop, you know, he's the model. It's a copy love. As I have loved you, because it's through him that we see the humility and the sacrifice. I just think of one verse in Philippians 2. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled, catch that word, himself and became what? Obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus Christ is our model. We copy him. Okay. And so it's good. In fact, Romans says this, again, going back to the fact that it's the Spirit of God, it's the love of God that works through us. Romans 5 says, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who who was given to us. Think about that. The love of God was poured out in our hearts. Not just the fact that He loved us, but now we can love. It's been poured out. What do you think of poured? You know, I need a glass of water. (sighs) Thank you. I need love. He, you know, fills us. So it's a copied love. Number two, it's new because it's a community love. It's a community. The second uh, second part of verse, verse 34, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. When we says love one another, that's new. Up to this point, it was the Jewish community. There wasn't the church. It had not yet been started. In fact, it won't be started until the day of Pentecost. But he's saying, listen, one another, that's where it's new. There's a sacrificial love, a humbling love that we have for one another that even goes beyond loving your neighbor. By the way, you see this in 1 Corinthians 8 when it talks about not offending your weak brother. The idea is this. I, I, I'm okay with offending the um, unsaved love your neighbor. I mean, if the truth goes out, but never should I want to offend purposely my, my brother in Christ. There's a special love with one another that's not found in love your neighbor. So it's new that way. Number three, it is also a connected love. By this all will know that you are what? My disciples. See, this is not just in community with each other. We are vitally connected with the head, Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. Colossians says that that it is His life that flows through us, eternal life. So it all goes back to Him, and therefore love is the mark. It's the mark of the Christian. And we are marked by love. By the way, isn't that kind of... I mean, I'm a Bible, uh, I'm, uh, we're a Bible church. We stand on doctrine. And by the way, we should. But really, the mark of the church is not the doctrine. The mark of the church is not that I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, that only by grace alone that we can you know, come to the Father through the sacrifice of Christ. Those are all truths. But this is how it plays out. Those are the foundation oh, truths. By the way, I'm not going to give any of them up, are you? We're going to stand on those truths. But once you get those as the foundation, what comes out of all that? Love. And it's that love that's the mark. That's what the unsaved world... See, they don't care. What do you mean, substitutionary death? No, no. They want to see how we love each other. Because you know what the gripe of the world is? They don't even get along. Why would I want to join that group? Well, they don't understand all the particulars, you know. Wait a second. You're a sinner. God is holy. You need salvation. But you know what drives people away? They don't even get along. They don't love. No, that's going to be the mark. I like what J. Vernon McGee... Do you remember him? Oh, J. Vernon McGee. 
I love listening, just even just to listen to him. But he had some good things to say. But anyways, when he was a boy, his father died. And he had to go and, and uh, to support his mom and, and sister, he had to go uh, work and actually live with his two aunts and a bachelor uh, uncle. So that was hard on young J. Vernon McGee. But one of his aunts was a Baptist and the other a Presbyterian. That would make a pretty lively group. And he said his uncle was a drunk. But this is what he said. Every Sunday we would get up just in time for the noon, or excuse me, every Sunday he would just get up in time for the noon meal. For dinner every Sunday we heard all the Methodist dirt and all the, or excuse me, Baptist dirt and all the Presbyterian dirt. And years later, as the uncle lay dying in his bed, the aunt, one of the aunts asked J. Vernon McGee, you know, why will he not listen to the claims of Christianity? And he said this, he said, I almost told her. He said, for all these years you have been Christian cannibals. Why would he ever listen? Yeah, let's not be a Christian cannibal. And then finally, it is a critical love. Second part of verse 35, if you have love for one another, if. Carl Hawk writes, the new commandment is the sin qua non of the Christian life. Sin qua non. That sound right? Is that how you say it? You're all like, what? I'm really tired because of Christmas. Let's just get this thing done. <laughs> well, sin qua non means without which nothing. And the idea is this. This is what the guy is saying. This new commandment is an essential element of the Christian life. That's what I mean by critical. It's a critical love. It's the essential element. If we don't have love for one another, everything else starts breaking apart. If it's not our mark. To neglect to love would render the Christian life as nothing. And we'll see that next week. Or let me say it a different way. So not to love one another in the family of God is a shocking sin. Egregious. Shocking. Shocking. How could it be that this group who's been brought in without the law and has been given freedom through love to serve one another are, are not doing it? How can it be that this group who has been saved by God, indwelt by God, empowered by God, is not loving? It's a shocking sin. Isn't, it? Isn't that a shocking sin? How is it that sometimes we sacrifice so little and think we're so great? Isn't that a shocking sin? When Christ has done so much for us. That's why the final thing in your outline is the genuineness of love. Let your love be without hypocrisy. This word hypocrisy was used of acting on a stage. By the way, back then, they didn't have a lot of the frills that we had, so they didn't have all the multimedia, and they didn't even have a lot of stage prep. All they did is had actors, and periodically, to show whether it was a sad moment, a melodramatic moment, or whatever, they would put up a face. You know, and they would know. And it was by the face, the mask, that they would know. And see, Paul borrows this and says, this is the word hypocrisy, hypocrite. And basically he's just saying, listen, you know, believer, don't wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. Don't come and, you know, at work you're... And, you know, at church, (laughs) praise the Lord... (laughs) But then the real person is, you know, you're going to go home with them. and Or maybe you were even that yesterday. Or maybe you were the Christian cannibal. Or maybe you are so paralyzed with worry and fear, and yet you say Jesus is king. And by the way, 
If you need help, we need to work together. But the reality is, don't be a hypocrite. Okay, don't be a hypocrite. By the way, that is real damning when it comes to children because they know you, right? Let me close with an illustration. After the USS Pueblo was captured by the North Koreans, the 82 surviving crew members were thrown into brutal captivity. In one particular instance, 13 of the men were required to sit in a rigid manner around a table for hours. 13 men just sitting quietly at a table under captive the North Koreans. After several hours, the door was violently flung open and a North Korean guard brutally beat the man in the first chair with the butt of his rifle. The next day, as each man sat at his assigned place, again the door was thrown open and the man in the first chair was brutally beaten. On the third day, it happened again to the same man. I mean, this was the same man in that front chair. Knowing the man could not survive, another, another young sailor took his place. When the door was flung open, the guard automatically beat the new victim senseless. For weeks, each day, a new man stepped forward to sit in that horrible chair, knowing full well what would happen. At last, guards gave up in exasperation. They were unable to beat that kind of sacrificial love. Now, that was soldiers. By the way, we're called to be soldiers. But you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Tertullian, he was a Christian author. He wrote much that we know about that era because he lived between, I think, 160 and 220 A.D. But this is what he wrote, very similar. This is what he wrote, a Christian writing about the pagans. It is our care for the helpless. Talking about Christians. It is our care for the helpless, our practice of long loving kindness that brands us. You, you, you see that mark? Brands us, like marks us, in the eyes of many of our opponents. Look, they say, how they love one another. Look how they are prepared to die for one another. Ah, that's exactly what Jesus said. We should have such great love for us, for each other, that we are willing even to go to the point of dying for each other. But you know what? Maybe God's not going to call you to that. But he is asking you to serve one another through love. That's why I say that's going to be our theme. Are you willing, through love, serve one another? We may come to a point of making Christ, because he is number one, that our families and our friends will suffer around us. But again, I trust that he is priority and that because he is priority, that those around us, our neighbors will know, yeah, he, he's different. But especially among those who are believers, one another, that we would truly love as, as Christ wants us to love each other, that we would grow together in that love. Let's stand as we worship him. Before I dismiss you, why don't you close your eyes and ask God if indeed he is priority in your life. And if you find he isn't, I would encourage you to confess that and, and tell him that you want him to be. Father, I pray that you would convict us if we have not truly followed the greatest of all commandments. May you truly be our priority. May our love for you outshine any other loves. Father, thank you for the fact that you do forgive. Again, we thank you that you have brought many of us to salvation.
And Lord, I ask that if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as Savior and Lord, that today might be their day of salvation. Father, again, we thank you that as you invade our lives, that you show us and empower us to love. And Lord, we know that really family is secondary. And yet I pray right now that you would help us as husbands to love our wives. That wives would truly respect and love their husbands. Lord, that children would seek to obey and submit out of love. Lord, help us as parents not to exasperate. Lord, there is so much in Scripture, really, that we need to do, and we fall far short. But as we seek to put you and make you and actually just recognize the fact that you are a priority, help us to do all the other things that we need to do, not to somehow think that that's secondary, that we don't need to do it. Father, again, thank you that you've liberated us, but allow it not to become an opportunity through the flesh but again, through love to serve one another. And I ask that you would grow us in this. And when we get frustrated, or when you put us in a situation, even this, the today or this next week, where we say, no, that, I'm not loving, I'm even hating, that we would run to you because we know that you can empower us to love. Thank you that it's a fruit of the Spirit. We ask for your guidance and wisdom and power to do this for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.